and welcome to another episode of our OECD Education Podcast Top Class. I'm Marilyn, editor at the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. Economic inequality is growing just about everywhere around the world. Research finds that in countries with greater income inequality, it's harder for people to move up the social ladder. Why is that? Some researchers find that income inequality limits education opportunities for disadvantaged children, even if they're talented. When success in education is more strongly linked to family background than to students' own talent and attitudes, education may not be the great equalizer we hope for it to be. Instead, it may just reinforce existing inequalities. The OECD has just published a new report, Equity in Education, Breaking Down Barriers to Social Mobility. The report focuses on how disadvantaged students fare in schools and what that means for life beyond school. With me today to talk about the report are Daniel Salinas, an analyst at the OECD and the lead author of the report, and Pauline Givor, who is also an analyst at the OECD and contributed to the report as well. First off, Daniel, what do you mean by equity in education and how is something like that measured? Uh, thank you, Marilyn, for the invitation to, um, to talk about this new report today. Uh, by equity in education, we mean that all students have a fair chance to do well in school. When we say a fair chance, uh, we don't mean that all students uh, have the same results, but instead that differences in results are not determined by their socioeconomic background, uh, but rather by uh, their interest, their motivation, their effort, and so on. And by doing well in school, um, we mean different things. One of them is learning and what they can do uh, with what they know in context uh, outside of school. A second dimension is uh, the psychological and social well-being of students. And a third dimension is to what extent if students have the possibility, if they want, to continue their studies into higher education. Maybe if I can add some, because yes, uh, I think that's one important notion as emphasized by uh, Daniel is fairness. So meaning that uh, we want to check that uh, all students are given the same opportunities to, to fulfill all the potential, whatever the characteristics. And more specifically in this report, what is analyzed is uh, difference in performance in outcomes. So either in learning, either in well-being, depending on socioeconomic background. The main um, focus is, is to measure the strength, how it is measured in the, in the report, it's to the strength between the relationship between the socioeconomic profile of students and the outcome at schools. And typically, mm -hmm. in, the, in the report, we will regard whether uh, students will disadvantage status in terms of socioeconomic uh, uh, characteristics, in terms of uh, cultural resources, uh, achieve compared to uh, students with more uh, affluent uh, background. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. When we look at the performance in science um, and we compare the performance of advantage uh, socioeconomic status and the performance of disadvantaged students, we see that there is a difference of 88 points um, which is the equivalent of three years of schooling. That's 88 points in, uh, in PISA terms? Yes, on, on, on the PISA scale in science, mm -hmm. on average in the OECD, uh, that is the, the magnitude of the achievement gap, as 
we would call it. And another way of measuring this gap is also to see whether disadvantaged students, so meaning those with uh, less uh, advantaged uh, socioeconomic background, are able to perform among the best uh, performers in this country. For instance, we have this, uh, this uh, fact uh, in uh, average uh, among OECD countries that one of the 10 disadvantaged students are able to perform among the best uh, performers in their in their own countries. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're talking about countries, so I'm I'm tempted to ask you even at this point, um, do you have examples of countries that are more successful than others in in providing equitable education uh, opportunities, and and those that are less uh, able right. to do that? That's a great question because um, this example I just gave you of about three years of schooling being sort of the average which is, magnitude which is of a the, huge amount. It's a, it's a large one. But then when we look at particular countries, we find two things. One is that there is a significant achievement gap in every single country and economy participating in PISA. But at the same time, that the magnitude or the size of, the, of this gap is not the same in all countries. So then you have, for example, going to your question, countries where the size of, of the gap is smaller, therefore the equity is, is greater. Uh, examples of these kinds of countries are um, in Europe, Iceland and Estonia, uh, or there are certain regions of China, such as Macau or Hong Kong, in which the gap is the equivalent more like one or two years of schooling, as opposed to three years, which mm. is the average. But then we also have on the other extreme, countries uh, in which the gap is actually larger than on average. So for example, uh, Latin American countries such as Peru or Chile, and in Europe, we could name also France or Belgium. In these countries, the inequities in science achievement is actually larger, and the equivalent more to four years of schooling between wow. advantage and disadvantage. So that is a serious and real concern. And I think another important uh, issue in the in the report is that this is not a fatality, and a lot of countries are able over the fifteen last uh, years to improve uh, equity in in the country in the sense that the strength of the relationship between socioeconomic profile of students and performance has decreased. So, for instance, we we observed in the report that eleven out of uh, 30, uh, 35 countries and economies with comparable data the uh, equity enhanced. So mm -hmm. there, is, uh, there is less dependencies between socioeconomic uh, background of uh, the students and their performance. So this is, for instance, Germany, the United States are countries when we see that the strength of the relationship between performance and uh, socioeconomic, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, has increased, so there is larger equity. When we talk about equity improving, a lot of people think about race to the bottom. So that means that it's, I mean, it's not an issue, it's not, the, the objective is not to, that everyone perform equally, but uh, with a bad performance. But what we see usually in PISA, it's also that equity can come not at the expense of quality of education. And a lot of countries are able to uh, provide more equal opportunities to all the students but also to achieve among, uh, among the top performers in PISA. Mm. So I think, for instance, in Canada, 
of uh, Estonia, Norway, as such countries, but uh, also Japan or Finland are, are countries which are more above average, both in the level of equity in education and in performance. I'm interested to hear in, in how these countries manage to improve, but I'll, but I'll save that question for later mm -hmm. because I want to also talk about it. I found um, one of the findings of the report really kind of intriguing is that um, disadvantaged students whose classmates are more advantaged, in other words, they, these disadvantaged students are attending maybe more socioeconomically diverse schools, seem to score better, score higher, than disadvantaged students who attend schools with largely other disadvantaged students. Um, my question is, according to the, your report and your findings, is this a function of the schools themselves, i.e. that these schools have better resources, more money, or whatever? Or is it that in being with other uh, students maybe who are somewhat more um, engaged in school and have better attitudes towards learning that that by osmosis um, that helps mm -hmm. disadvantaged students either one of you if you want to uh, before letting uh, Daniel providing more uh, specific uh, explanation to this I think it's important to stress uh, the, the fact that it is uh, emphasized in the report we observe that uh, amongst, on average, among the OECD countries, half of the disadvantaged students attend the, uh, schools with disadvantaged profiles, meaning that there is mostly disadvantaged students in these schools. And that means that in most of the OECD countries, disadvantaged students face a double disadvantage because we observe that usually for disadvantaged students, it makes a difference when they attend an advantage schools or an advantage school. And there is a significant gap in average performance for these students depending on the type of schools they attend. So maybe mm -hmm. I will, uh, Daniel yes. will provide some reasons, Oof. explanation for this. Yes, so as Pauline said, like this, the magnitude of the amount of disadvantaged students who are concentrated in schools where most of their peers are also disadvantaged very large. Right? So this is a significant problem that affects uh, per the performance of these students. So then going to your question, so why is it that it affects so much? Is it the characteristics of the schools or is it the, the peers? Right? Um, and I think the, um, the short question would be both of them uh, matter to some extent. One of the things we find is that um, when a disadvantaged student attends an advantaged school, they usually find a learning environments that are uh, better in a number of ways. For example, advantaged schools tend to um, have a larger number of qualified teachers, which in turn uh, allows them to have more effective teaching strategies to identify students' needs early on and to display, uh, to adapt their teaching methods to what the students really need. Um, Another factor that we find that explains part of the difference is uh, the behavior in the classroom. Advantaged schools tend to have um, better behavior and more respect for rules, and this translates into a, a better use of time inside of the classroom. So the teacher has more time to deliver content, but also to invite students to participate, to engage in the class. And then a third factor is that advantaged 
schools tend to have better resources and also uh, tend to have more extracurricular activities such as um, science competitions, for example, mm. that engage students in a different way, not the traditional just test um, paper, mm. uh, but um, that are more on one hand entertaining for students, but also um, they can assume different kinds of roles, more active involvement in the learning process. Yeah, because I think that one we should stress that this is not a fatality. And in several countries, we observe a much smaller gap in performance for disadvantaged students, depending on what kind of schools they attend. For instance, in Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Poland, we do not see any differences in performance, depending on, on the school uh, the disadvantaged students attend. So I think, yeah. again, policies can make a difference and uh, right. we uh, we cannot take it for granted and there is some solutions and even when there is we can avoid segregation but even when there is some segregation there is some kind of teaching of uh, providing some more resources for instance there is another uh, report uh, about uh, effective schooling uh, uh, teacher policy uh, by the OECD who show that uh, in more than one third of the countries in PISA 2015, teachers in the most disadvantaged schools are less qualified uh, mm. than in most advantaged schools. But that means that in other countries, they provide also, they try to compensate for this. Yeah, I mean, I think this, there, there are clear policy implications for some of these findings. And, I mean, and, and speak, speaking to that, I mean, it, it shows also how important it is uh, from the very beginning to support disadvantaged students, and, and which brings me to another question mm -hmm. um, that the report shows is, is that it's striking that how even in primary school, difference in performance between disadvantaged and advantaged students is already evident and, and continues to grow throughout the education. Instead of shrinking, it actually grows. And this is equally significant in light of another funding that you have that says that performance, students' performance when they're 15 years old um, has a lot to say about what they're going to be when they're 25 years old, whether mm -hmm. they're going to continue into university, whether they're going to be able to successfully enter the job market. Um, could you talk a little bit to that and the, and the, I mean, we want to say that poverty isn't destiny, but in a way, your findings are showing that actually it might be. Well, um... I wouldn't want to be so deterministic. I mean, there is a, we also, one analysis that we do in the report um, has to do with student resilience. And disadvantaged students are resilient in a number of ways, not only in terms of their performance, they're also in terms of their well being. Many of them have better attitudes than you would expect them based on their socioeconomic profile. Um, but um, going back to your question, it is true that um, in previous PISA analysis, we have uh, focused uh, on examining inequalities in performance among students who take PISA, which is 15-year-olds. But then uh, we also, in this report, wanted to know uh, how large is the performance gap before uh, students get to the end of compulsory school at age 15. Um, how large is it, for example, during primary school? Um, so to answer that question, we use data from a different uh, comparative study, the Trends in International Mathematics and Science study, more uh, 
commonly known as the teams. So we looked at the performance of students in fourth grade of primary uh, when they were about 10 years old. And what we found there is that the achievement gap in mathematics um, among these 10-year-old students is more than two-thirds the size of the achievement gap among 15-year-olds that we found in PISA. Uh, so in other words, this analysis found that the achievement gap is already very large early on during primary when they are 10 years old, but then second, that it keeps growing as they continue into uh, later grades. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because this this report is about social mobility, so it's not right. only about the, the, the gap in the, at the 15, when students are 15 years old, but whether to, to see whether there is a change in the socioeconomic status of individuals between their childhood to their adult life. And this is an important notion to, to, to have this long life lasting analysis of a different period of time of the same of students. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is also, so Daniel mentions uh, an analysis uh, for uh, when students are only 10 years old, but there is also uh, another part in the report very nice about uh, what they become when they are adult. And so uh, there is two type of analysis in, in the report and the first use in a broad scale uh, an analysis of uh, of the using another OECD uh, survey, so the program for the international assessment of adult competency, so which is known as PIAC, and uh, that provide a measure of uh, competencies of adults. And uh, we also concerning social mobility. Uh, in this, an, an important fact in this uh, in this report is that on average among OECD countries, adults with tertiary educated parents were about ten times more likely to complete tertiary education than adults with low educated parents. And tertiary and education meaning university. University, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly, precisely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when we look more carefully, because uh, there is a very, in, a very limited set of countries, uh, unfortunately, so there is five countries, Australia, Canada, Denmark, Switzerland, and the United States. We have a follow-up of uh, the first PISA survey of 2000, Meaning that for students who were tested in uh, in uh, PISA, we are able to examine uh, the link with education attainment uh, of this uh, very same students and having a very um, nice, very precise um, description of the performance when they were 15s and also the uh, schooling environment at the state. And uh, maybe Daniel want to say more? Uh... Yes. So one of the um, interesting findings about this longitudinal study where we follow the same students between PISA and when they were later on 25-year-olds is that um, on the one hand, we, we find, as, as Pauline said, that students with more educated parents have a greater probability of completing tertiary education or getting a skilled job when they are 25. So that's sort of like an indicator of inequity indeed. But um, disadvantaged students who perform well, despite of having low educated parents, uh, actually had really good um, educational outcomes later on. So that's a clear message that tells you that if you strengthen the support of disadvantaged students so they can perform better, early on in primary and then also 
their consolidated performance by age 15, that would definitely um, not only allow them individually to perform better, but then to improve the overall level of social and educational mobility in society. That means yeah. a society with more equal opportunity among people, mm -hmm. which is sort of part of the whole purpose of this enterprise that we call education. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, we don't have much time left, so I, but I want to get to um, the important, uh, another important question, which you can answer briefly. What can countries do to, to make that happen? Yes. So, so I would say, I'm going to try to, do, to be brief about it. We have a longer description in the report. But first thing is, to, I would say, let's make equity not just a beautiful word, but a, a real commitment in policymaking. I think this can be done in the following, perhaps, two or three things. One is set explicit goals of performance for disadvantaged students in your country. I'm speaking to policymakers. Uh, and monitor their progress. So, for example, today, only about 11% of disadvantaged students perform among the top 25% of students in their own country. Those are what we call the nationally resilient students. It's only 11% of disadvantaged students. What about, um, we set the goal that in 10 years' time, we double this, and we make it 20% of students who are actually performing at the top level. That would create a strong route of upward social mobility for those students and um, positive dynamic. Second, um, it it's really important to um, improve access and quality to pre-primary education. I think that's a message that goes for all countries. Uh, a third point is to make a strong investment in teachers. Most, a large amount of disadvantaged students attend schools where their teachers are less qualified um, than in other schools? I think it's important to develop teachers' capacity to identify students' needs and also manage diverse exactly. classrooms. Mm. So address the diversity of the needs and, uh, and uh, different uh, pedagogical practice in order to to help all students to perform mm -hmm. equally. I think that's also related with if you um, improve the capacity of teachers to manage diverse classrooms, you need to rely less on um, policies that div diverge or sort students into different schools or different classrooms. Um, so you could eventually reduce the concentration of disadvantaged students in schools and where this, most, And this should be done yeah. also by providing sufficient incentives to students, to teachers. To, to attract the best teachers, so you, they have to be sufficient uh, mm -hmm. financial incentive to, to keep also these best te uh, teachers with the best practices for in all schools, even in the disadvantaged schools. And a final point I would make is um, to invest in student well-being. Um, we know that um, academic performance and student well-being go hand in hand, creating a cycle of positive reinforcement. Um, so there are a variety of ways in which teachers, schools, and communities can support uh, the well-being of students, promoting, for example, activities uh, in which students can develop not only cognitive, but um, social and psychological skills such as leadership, teamwork, collaboration, problem solving, creativity, all 
activities that are more engaging than, as we said before, just pen and paper testing, mm. right? Then there's also among teachers, studies uh, that suggest that providing positive feedback and being really explicit in terms of what students can do to improve, as opposed to just giving them a mark, a numerical mark that doesn't have a meaning, um, can improve self-esteem and confidence. And maybe if I had something, it had been shown that uh, promote, I mean, getting parents involved in their day-to-day -day learning of their children has been proven as uh, an efficient way also to improve the, the learning of all students. So it is important for schools to promote better communication between schools okay. and parents. So it's a, it takes a community to, uh, to educate a child. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Um, thank you very much, Pauline and thank Danielle. You, and thanks to all of you for listening. Please don't forget to check out our Twitter page, which can be found at OECD Edu Skills, as well as our OECD Education Today blog. Thanks again, and see you next time.